Welcome to another episode of Scooby Dudes. I'm gonna get this intro over very quick because Evan is very hungry and we need to get some food in his little belly. Uh, we're the Scooby Dudes, two best friends, here to talk about our favorite meddling kids. This episode, that's Monstertainment, fifth episode of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby Doo. I'm very excited to be here. Evan, anything to add? I'm hungry. <laughs> See, Evan's so hungry. We really need to get through this, listeners. Don't, don't hold us. Oh, look at that. Evan's making a baby face. Oh, he's so sad. Oh, he's so sad. Oh, he looks like he's about to cry or fall asleep. Oh, you look like you're on the cover. For just five cents a day, you can support Evan. You know, let's do the Patreon shout-out now. Uh, Patreon.com slash ScoobyDudes. For just a buck a month, you can support Evan and uh, fill his little hungry belly, his little hungry tum. I want food. <laughs> oh, oh, hear that? He's getting, he's getting cranky. We got to get to the episode, listeners. Again, episode five of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Two best friends, favorite middle kids. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies, too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. So... What struck me about doing this, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, is that we've been away from, like, what you and I consider classic uh, old-school Scooby-Doo for almost a month. That's true. It feels like forever. Returning to this felt like a return to classics. Even though the format of 13 Ghosts is so different from the original Scooby-Doo, the animation style and a lot of the humor is right there with the original. So, um, context for our listeners who maybe don't know this show... It is, um... Two best s- friends. No, 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 no. You're no, no, talking about their favorite meddling kids. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna... I, I was gonna recycle the I'm a hungry bit, but, um... Dude, I'm hungry too, to be honest. I'm also hungry. Oh, good. I'm glad we're all hungry. I, I, I was tempted to say let's have, like, the uh, flip side of a drinking episode and have an eating episode, but I think that is genuinely disgusting. Why don't people do that? Why don't people do eating games where it's just like, instead of take a drink, it's take a bite? Oh, I once list, tried listening to an, a, an episode of a podcast where they were eating during the episode, and it was almost vomit-inducing. Eating mouth sounds are so gross. It's like the opposite of ASMR. In fact, I think that could be used as a version therapy for ASMR. Like, you show people ASMR videos with mouth sounds intermixed. Have you ever seen that video? And I think I might have sent it to you. But this guy, he does um, muk- mukbang videos. Mukbang being like... Oh, let, let's explain it to our listeners. It's, uh, I think, prevalent in Japan where you uh, like eating in front of a webcam so that people can also eat or like feel like they have company during a meal. I think it's Korean. I think mukbangs are Korean. But this guy, he so it's just huge pieces of salmon and he's wearing gloves and it's like a very dark room like a pitch black room but there's like a light that just illuminates him and he just looks like oh and he just like grabs the fish (laughs) trying to make as much sound as possible (laughs) and then he just takes bites out of it it's disgusting this is i love it unbelievably gross but that is the most apt comparison we can make to the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo it's like watching a man in a dark room handle fish with gloves and take bites out of it and let me try to let me really try to bring everything together Mm, full circle if you go to scoobydudes.com you can listen to this episode there i mean you're already listening to it but i'll put that video in our show notes if you also go to scoobydudes.com you'll be able to see all of the past episodes that we've done on the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo which you might need if you want to see what happened to the other what what is it three ghosts i guess uh that's exactly right um so it is the most defining characteristic of 13 ghosts to lay out it's a serial format um at the beginning of the series 13 ghosts are released from a chest that scooby and shaggy the dumbest beings on the earth uh trigger uh each episode they're trying to catch one of these ghosts uh, two, a few other unique things about this series. There are unique characters in the form of Flim Flam, a uh, huckster in a yellow tracksuit who's also a small child, and Vincent Van Gool, a sorcerer type um, who typically helps the gang from afar, but sometimes from up close, voiced by Vincent, uh, Vincent Price. And also, I think visually based on Vincent Price as well. Yes, in every sense, it's Vincent Price. And the, the third defining characteristic for me on this series is that it has perhaps my favorite scooby-doo intro of all time maybe even above the original every time i i love it i skipped it when i watched it this time oh i can't skip it i couldn't i want i was going to because i was in a hurry i'm like oh i got to watch this episode twice gotta take a lot of notes 
but I love the intro. I can't not listen to it. You you have that like Vincent Price voiceover. Oh, who, it's and so he, good. Yeah, it is helpful because he lays out the premise. He lays out the premise very neatly, um, and so that's a little bit of the the ramp up to this episode. Let's let's get right into it. What's going on in episode five? Episode title: That's Monstertainment. So, an average episode of Thirteen Ghosts has. Um, Scooby, Shaggy, Flim Flam, Scrappy, and Daphne. No Fred or Velma. I forgot to mention, uh, Fred and Velma are nowhere to be seen. I always enjoy speculating as to what they're doing together away from the group. Oh. Uh, and so this this particular gang, mm. most episodes have them on the road actively looking for ghosts. Yeah, this is uh, really presented as a globetrotting series. And it has been for every episode up till this one, where they're at their home base located I don't know where. And um, it's, it's, I guess, late night, scary movie night. And late night being like, this is 2 a.m. in the morning. So, like, is it? Do we establish that? Yeah. Whoa. So they're, they're all sitting in front of the TV, and they're like, oh, there's a, there's a movie coming on. It's, it's our favorite. It's the, um, it's the son of the bride of the ghost of Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I did enjoy. I especially enjoyed when later we see the intro and it drops each line in succession really paces the joke out. And then Daphne comes down the stairs, and she's like, guys, you're making a lot of noise. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. Dang, you're right. And let me just say, like, for children who will be who are watching this, 11 p.m. is late. 11, I'm going to go see a, uh, a show tonight, a, a live improv show at 10.30, which is normally the time I'm getting ready for bed. Are you serious? Yeah. What, what time do you get up for work? I get up for work at, like, uh, 7, 7.30. Yeah, I get up for work at, like, 7.15. I go to bed at 1. Which is, I think, a little bit more typical for someone our age, our relative age. I'm a little bit more fuddy-duddy-ish. No, Say what? it's not. I'm an outlier. Everyone I talk to goes to bed at, like, at like 10. Wow. We're all so mild-mannered. All of us. All of us well-kept youths. Not me. Not you. Not me. Not me. I'm wild-mannered. <laughs> me so hungry. <laughs> uh, this series... Where were we on it? Oh, so it's a very, very late night movie. Especially considering Flim Flam is in on this. Who is, we, I have to emphasize, emphasize at every turn, a child. I mean, Scrappy is also a child. He's a child, but he's like a puppy. Like, he could sleep all day and, like, be up and then, like, who cares? So, I guess with, like, old late night movies or marathons, I guess this is, like, on the tail end of a marathon, there's, like, a host in between. Like, if you're watching, like, Turner Classic Movies... That there's always some old white guy who's like introducing the films. Oh, are we about to get to the movie introduction? The person presenting it. Yes. If I can hit a couple of bits before that, I think they layered a couple of great moments ahead, like right before they get into the plot. This is like three minutes, but Velma Daphne mentions at one point we may we may need munchies for this, and it's like a little on the nose, Daphne. We we try and pretend like that wasn't part of the origin of these characters. Um. We also have a great moment where Scooby locks up the chest of demons, um, which introduces some of the traps upstairs. <laughs> it's like super casual, uh, but Scooby goes upstairs and like locks it up, and it's almost like the series that we just covered last week, Get a Clue. There's all these like high-tech gadgets in the upstairs around the chest of demons. There's this weird motif in this series, 13 Ghosts, because after Scooby puts, it, puts the chest in a safe that's behind like an American gothic painting with him and Shaggy as the couple. <laughs> um, he slips on mm. uh, a child's toy that's like a duck with wheels on it. Mm. And that's the same duck that was the inflatable right. thing in the first episode. Dude, I think this duck is going to be the 13th demon. Can you imagine? I think it's going to be, it's seeding it in there and it's going to be brilliant when it comes around. I'm sorry to spoil it for our listeners, but I think that's what it is. Scooby slips on this toy. He uh, breaks through a laser, which like releases a 20 ton weight, which he dodges. And then there are um, long robot arms that try to grab him, but he escapes those as well. Yeah, and he just like slams the door behind him. Um, which is a little atypical for this. We don't, I guess we do have a high-tech mystery machine, the red mystery machine, the inferior mystery machine in this series. So that, the, the, the tech does come into play. Um, a minor thing that's happening at the same time is that Shaggy is making popcorn. He does some interesting Shaggy math. He says, we've got six people and six bowls. So I'll use six pounds of popcorn in the microwave. And I'll set it to eight, eight million, million degrees. degrees. <laughs> For, for reasons I can't fathom. I, 
at least six million degrees, I, I would have expected. You know what? Shaggy, Shaggy clearly knows what he's doing, as we'll see later. I do think it's also... When I thought about this, I was like, is this six pounds unpopped popcorn or six pounds popped popcorn that you oh, ultimately want to get to? You thought it was going to yield six pounds popcorn? I think it was six pounds unpopped. That, well, that's what I originally thought. Because these bowls are like average-sized bowls. I'm like, maybe... Actually, you know what? If you think about how light popcorn is, a pound of popcorn has to be a lot of popcorn. Hang on, let's get this. Let's let's question this. Is a kernel of popcorn heavier before or after it's popped? Oh, hang on. It has to. Okay, here's the thing. It has to be lighter because what causes popcorn to pop is that there's water on the inside, and that's what the microwave activates. So it has to be lighter because the water has been released. Um, in 2011, someone did an experiment to determine just this question. Um, the weighted popcorn at the start was 72.1 grams. They use highly sensitive scales. The popcorn weighed 62.3 after being popped, 14% lighter. You were exactly right. Yep. Losing water and oil vapor while cooking. We learn you something here, listeners. You're, you're getting knowledge and entertainment. I hope entertainment. <laughs> I hope knowledge. <laughs> you hope knowledge. Evan wants it to be as dry as possible. Evan wants to really take this episode of Scooby-Doo and evaporate all the oils and vapors out of it. I just want to make this so dry for our listeners. Oh. And then we, we really get into the movie, and the presenter presents the movie for us. Do you, do you have the line there? Uh, I, I don't, do you? If, if I may. Please. Um, yes. Um, well, first, the person that pops up on the screen, can we describe what we're seeing? I, I do have an image here. So the person in question, the host, is Zamba. And I, I am on the Scooby-Doo Wikia right now. And so I can actually, I can describe her using um, what's been laid out here. Uh, species, species demon, gender female, hair color, purple, eye color, black, and then in brackets, yellow sclera. Note to our listeners, if you want to know the sclera color of any character in any Scooby-Doo series ever, Scoobypedia is here for you. And so are we. I can also read the actual physical appearance right up, which is, I would say, pretty accurate. Mm. Zomba has red skin modeled with orange spots, huge yellow eyes, a mouthful of large teeth, and a tangled mane of purple hair. She wears a tattered pink dress. She also wears miniature bones as hanging earrings. I want to add one additional description the eyebrows oh i I wasn't going to comment on them but they're very large and black and bushy quite a bushy yeah real eugene levies (laughs) (laughs) you see the levies on that one (laughs) look at the levies on that one huge those were some huge ian levies (laughs) yeah you know he has a a brand of 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 denim pants with eyebrows on them eugene levi's <laughs> eugene levi's hang on is that good is that good i think it might be good <laughs> uh oh, sorry what was your, what were you gonna say about her last most defining characteristic to me zamba looks like a caric- a caricature of a trailer park woman yeah, I feel like there's something offensive about her design, and I kind of wanted to get that conversation out of the way. I'm not sure what it is, though. I think there's something offensive tribal, maybe, about the bone-hanging earrings. There's something racial, I do think, about the bones, but as a whole, I think her design is like, it's, it's like a woman standing outside of her trailer yeah. with, like, a cigarette dangling from the corner of her mouth, it's al- and she's mm. kind of pregnant. She's pregnant. Oh, she's definitely pregnant. I was going to say she's, or she's almost like ambiguously pregnant where like the designers don't want you to think she's pregnant or out of shape. She's kind of both. This is what Zomba looks like because Zomba's wearing like a shift. Yeah, it's, I mean, it looks like that kind of like a nightdress that's worn to Walmart. It feels like every, everything about Zomba in a way that's different than any of the other villains in 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo is there to make us dislike her or like to, to, is it like there was a dig at her. So what is... What's the line that introduces her? So the line that introduces her is really her introducing the uh, the movie we're about to see. And now! Oh, hang on, no, let, let me get the <laughs> voice. The movie presented for my... I'm going to do Mark Hamill's The Joker. I'm sorry, that's the closest. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, and now, our movie presented for my special viewers, namely Scooby-Doo and... Friends! <laughs> 
it really is the thing that slayed me. I had to pause and just laughing out loud at it was the way she really builds up to friends <laughs> as if that's the hard reveal. Because up to that point, everybody else was like, oh, Scooby, what happened to you? Everyone's like, hey, okay, I guess we're... <laughs> Is that is that all of us? Is that a few of us? Any of us? Are we his friend? We're fine. Does she mean his dog friends? This episode is kind of notable because when mm. when she says Scooby Doo and friends, she's referring obviously to everyone in the room. Mm. The there is the addition of Vincent Van Gool, who has appeared with pops or sodas or cokes, depending on where you live. Yeah, your uh, region, regional dialect, and I guess and that does place this place us as back in our home base of Vincent Van Gool's castle in the Himalayas. I think I don't think it was i think they were in the states i think that i feel like they're stateside i feel like they are but like why is this why is vincent van gool here since he normally resides in the himalayas and just communes with everyone via crystal ball because vincent van gool so i'm just gonna skip yeah, a little word. bit um zamba has powers and she basically puts them into the movie into the film and vincent van gool is among them and because he sort of takes part in this not mystery but in this adventure to me it was almost like if zordon accompanied the power rangers i suppose power ranger i have to admit not a super strong point of reference for me but i know what you mean big floating head right bald yeah he was like the wizard of oz i guess yeah i hope to play him someday (laughs) (laughs) that's that's my ideal role for myself um so yeah just just the whole idea that the person like if otacon i guess ever helped Mm -hmm snake with anything i've never played these games it's not as i you know what i like that you tried thank you for trying buddy that means a lot to me because you know i like that so vincent van gool is along for the ride here and the ride is really zomba transporting everyone into the tv into the movie um the son of the ghost of the bride of frankenstein um to, and to me the point of reference that really reminded me of was a game called garfield caught in the act where Garfield gets sucked into a TV and it's a 2D platformer where he's going through all these TV shows. Oh, caught in the act. I just think of, like, Garfield slamming his bedroom door. John, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and thinking really loud, John, don't, don't you, you ever, ever knock? knock? Oh, man. Uh, I thought this whole setup, I loved... I really... First, I guess right off the bat... No, that doesn't make sense because we've talked a lot. But I love this episode. I, the humor that they have, the way that they really approach this this premise, because when they're in the movie, the movie starts, and then there's like an opening, like a Warner Brothers thing. Or... It's, uh, it's an, a parody of MGM um, with the lion in the middle that roars, except it's Scooby, and uh, this moment. Um, and underneath Scooby are the words, Rana Rarera. <laughs> yes. And also we see on the ribbon around Scooby, lit- uh, Limitus Animatus, which is Latin for limited animation, what Hanna-Barbera specialized in, animation that involves just animating part of each frame. Wow, that is super good. And, and Scooby, like the lion, is in the center, except he yawns, and then is embarrassed for yawning and says, excuse me. Excuse me? And, and then when they get into the movie, it's all black and white, and they're the only ones who are in color. It's fantastic. And we open up not on them immediately being thrown into all the plot and stuff, but with the villagers chasing the existing Dr. Frankenstein and his sidekick, who's not named Igor for some reason. Um, uh, he's named Egad. Egad. Ooh, that's right. That's pretty good. Um, Zomba says she has gone to great lengths to trap everyone on that film for eternity. We do have a brief moment here where we see Zomba uh, projecting the film, and it's almost like she has a cast and crew of people that who are... That stri- is like the zombies. They're like... Yeah, and it's just one moment here, right at the beginning, and we never have a reference to the, the, the scaffolding that uh, supports this world that she's created, except for this one brief moment. And it's a lot like Vogel and Weird at the first episode. I'm surprised they haven't shown up. Me too. They're referenced in the first episode and not again since. No, well, once no, they in appear the in Marrakesh episode. Mm-hmm. Marrakesh, Morocco, last episode we covered. So uh, there's this whole thing where the villagers are chasing Dr. Frankenstein and Egad. They come upon the gang and they're just like, listen, guys, we literally live out this movie every day i guess he's like we're we're done you guys fill in for us um scooby has uh 
lab coat thrown onto his shoulders, and then he becomes Doctor Doctor Frank and Egad throws his outfit onto Scrappy. Now let's break this down for a second because I feel like that's a pretty strong decision that's made to make them the main characters in this. Is that how you would have chosen it if you were writing this episode? I think Scooby would be Dr. Frankenstein, yeah. I could see that. I could also see Shaggy as Dr. Frankenstein, Scooby is Egad. That's a little straightforward, I think. I would have much more liked it if Scooby was Dr. Frankenscoob still, but Shaggy was Egad. But Egad is a hunchback. That's true. And Flim Flam can never be, like, lesser. He always needs to be clever and quippy and in a position of relative power and control. So... In that context, Scrappy needs to be the small assistant. And is also even, it can completely be made lesser throughout every episode of this series. Uh, Zamba, it's it's actually, I thought this was pretty funny. Um, mm. She goes and, there are all these flashbacks back to her, like back at the ranch, her at the house trying to find the chest. Because mm. she's going to find it, she's going to release her friends, and then she's going to destroy it. And then she will be, I guess, free forever because that's the only thing that can hold her. Yes. Um, so she's going around the house trying to find the uh, chest of demons. And she, she goes up the stairs, and she sees this door that has all these padlocks and stuff on it, but then she uses her, like, magic powers and just, like, destroys or, like, magics away the padlocks. Her, her powers are kind of ambiguous because it does one of two things. It either, like, blows up whatever's in her way, or it transports them to a fictional world of, like, a movie <laughs> and uh, makes the protagonists of that movie foist their characters on these people. So, like, it's... These are wide-ranging. She's, like, maybe Thanos at the end of uh, Avengers. Also sort of considered her as, like, a, as like a weaker Thanos yeah, a little bit. Yeah, she's got at least a few gems in the Infinity Gauntlet. She And then she sees she uses her powers to locate the safe behind the portrait. She uses her powers to, like, just, I guess, magic away the portrait so the chest is exposed. And I'm just like, wow, their security measure's terrible. But then she slips on that same duck. She does. That duck. Again, the ultimate villain, maybe? Or maybe a Glenda-type figure, uh, Glenda the Good Witch, where that duck has been saving them the entire time, <laughs> guiding them from afar. She, she Vincent cuts... Van Gogh's Vincent Van Gogh is the duck. <laughs> I know that you want to get away from this, but this duck is very important to me. <laughs> but she does, she does get into there, and she does get her hands on the chest. She Well, she, she slips on the duck, the laser... Oh, sorry. She goes through a laser... She dodges, just like Scooby, she dodges the 20 tons, but then the hands grab her by the shoulders. Oh, yeah, she doesn't get it yet. And then we get a, we see the house from outside, and we hear all of these, like, bing, bong, boom, bash uh, stuffs. You Listeners, you couldn't see it, but Evan and I were just both swinging our <laughs> arms as if trying to bash at the, the an invisible cage we were both trapped in. Uh, there are a few things that happen as well for some reason they they make their way through a secret passage they make their way into frankenstein's castle i i have a complaint i'd like to lodge a complaint on the secret passage sure. we are in this graveyard where frank and scoob and the new the new frank and scoob and egad are getting chased we don't see the full statue that they pull on to make the secret passage and it is very unsatisfying it's for me very big too like it's gigantic it's gigantic and we only see like a little corner of it and there's what i'm guessing is a staff that scrappy pulls on and it makes like the trap door open and they get shot off to the castle by the way they like we kind of know what the the characters know what's going to happen in this movie because they've seen the movie before, apparently. It's, yeah, it's their favorite horror movie. In fact, Flim Flam says, to throw out a line, uh, when asked, how do we know what to do? It's a snap, Shaggy, my man. We've all seen this flick a hundred times. We know it by heart, so just play your part. Can I request, because you're very good at voices, uh, I <laughs> loved okay. Scrappy's voice in this episode when he's pretending to be Egad. I thought it was so funny. Let me that what you just did is normal scrappy like hi uncle scoop that's normal scrappy so who is he as egad let me give it a shot this is gonna take a second but i hope it's worth it dr frankenscoob the greatest experiment <laughs> we will bring the monster to life <laughs> Dude, I thought it was so funny. I couldn't get over it. I think it's really good. I think it's good use of Scrappy making him Egad. And Scrappy knows he's playing a character, which really lets him lean into it. 
So he's not really afraid. He's kind of like, everyone in this is almost like an improv group on stage. Like, they know kind of that they're supposed to be playing these certain roles, but they're just having fun with it. Scooby even manages to really get into the character of Dr. Frankenscoob. You mentioned just a little while ago that Egad had to, or rather, Scrappy had to be Egad because Flim Flam always has to be in like a, he has to be cool. Yeah, he has to be cool. We want him to be the uh, kid's analog on screen, and the show wants to empower children. And as a result, when everyone is sort of embodying different roles, Flim Flam says that he's the director. Yeah, he comes out with the director's beret and the uh, like paper uh, loudspeaker, the flimsy loudspeaker, and starts ordering people around. And the thing that really bothered me is when he did it to Scooby physically. When he first came out, I was like, uh, should I do a Weinstein joke when this when we talk about this? I was like, no, nah, I shouldn't. That's not worth it. But then he started sexually abusing Scooby, and I was Excuse like, well, maybe I should. What do you mean? I mean, he grabs Scooby's mouth oh, he and like does. puts his fingers in and, and starts like really... pulling it and closing it so he can see his teeth in different arrangements. I was gonna make another comparison, like what outside of the context of dentists and orthodontists, the only time you look at someone's teeth is like maybe if if they're a non-gift horse that you're about to buy. <laughs> That's the only time I think yes. you can check out someone's Thank teeth. Thank you. That is what I was referring to. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it looked so unnerving. Not only because we got, like, just this real close-up of Scooby's teeth all laid out. Which in are various, human like, teeth, mind you. They're yeah. not canine teeth. They're not normal. And, like, seeing someone else's hands in there, it, it made, me, made me uncomfortable. Scooby blushing afterwards as if he liked it did not ameliorate anything that came before. Also, weirdly, he blushes blue. He bl- Yeah, it's weird. It's like they didn't know what color he was supposed to blush. Here's the, the biggest question mark I have on the episode, and I know it's not really Frankenstein the movie, but the gang is chased by angry villagers back to the castle, and then Scrappy is like, we need to bring the monster to life. Question, what are the villagers mad about? Within the context, and I haven't read Frankenstein's monster, or, or and also known as the modern Prometheus, which I think mm. is a really sick name for... Like, why does anybody call it Frankenstein? When we could call it the modern Prometheus. That's like the Scottish play. Let's all sound smarter and call it the modern Prometheus. I fi- I'm pretty sure the villagers are upset because Dr. Frankenstein was grave robbing. That would make sense. In the context of the movie, and I think the book, I only looked up the movie for this, uh, the original Frankenstein, the villagers don't chase him until the very end after Frankenstein's monster has killed a good few people. Uh, but here, we're obviously taking liberties already because it's the son of the ghost of the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, a lot of which actually does come into play. That's not just a joke title. I mean, speaking of the Bride of Frankenstein, it's really weird that Daphne, mm-hmm. that's the character that she picks. And so she comes out and she has, even though she's Frankenstein's bride and not the monster's bride, she still has that like Marge Simpson style hair with the the black hair with the shock of white running through it and the weird thing on top of that to me is that no one foisted a character upon her she and vincent van gogh were kind of observing scooby and shaggy getting chased by the villagers because i guess they just don't care um and then she just like chooses a character and jumps in she's like a late improv scene joiner sorry to make comparisons there not for very long she she kisses no for no reason either like you'd think she would be jumping like i gotta do a character to go get this vital piece of information or something to scooby no, none of that. She kisses him, like, all over the face, and then is also like, hey, you, I'm a jilted bride because you left me at the altar. Yeah, it's a little more specific, even. She jumps in by saying, tis I, Dr. Franken-Scooby, your bride-to-be, Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't, you know, she's not an actress, okay? She's just winging it here, so good on her for trying. But yeah, she kisses all over Scooby's face. The moment after that I want to zoom in on, Scooby breathes out smoke. After that, he genuinely breathes out smoke and then honks like, (laughs) why, why? I do not know. Um, But yeah, then she informs us that she, Scooby left her at the altar. It feels like she's taking liberties with the plot. Like she's just jumping in. I really, I like to think that she just felt left out. I think so. That's my reading of this is like the scene didn't need her, but she wanted to be in it. And also I think Shaggy also felt left out because he comes in as Constable Von Shagobon. Yeah, and this movie is not called The Son of the Bride of the Ghost of the Constable of Frankenstein. I think he made this up and jumped in. And he doesn't really do anything. I, I think he's, like, supposed to be sort of like the Javert to Scooby's 
Dr. Frankenscoob. This is Val- John Valjean. John, John Val- Dr. Franken John Valjean. Um, I think so too, but I do think the gag that he comes in for, like the reason he's there for the gag is very good. Uh, so what is that? That gag is him saying, I'm going to stop. I don't, I'm not, I'm just going to make an accent up for him. Although, hey, really quick note. Um, we have uh, Casey Kasem doing a good few more voices in here than I've ever heard him do. Ever. And I think it's because he's doing accents. But it's quite enjoyable seeing the stuff he's doing with Shaggy. Um, but he says, I'm going to stop you, Dr. Frankenscoob, because you're insane! And Scooby really takes that to heart. You're insane? Shaggy, <laughs> you, you think I'm insane? And he's like, a cr- I think he's like shedding a tear. And that like Shaggy breaks character like, no, Scoob, Scoob, I, that's in character. I didn't really mean that. Scoob, it's like... It's fine. It's totally fine. Shag clarifies it. And then Daphne, for some reason, comes in and say, I think you're both nuts. Which <laughs> is the ultimate, like, you're a third wheel in this improv scene just trying to cut other people down to get a laugh for yourself. Honestly, I think it's very funny. I think they could have milked it for even more comedy. Just Daphne on, on the sidelines. <laughs> I think they should have leaned into that more. I also think, just to bring mention it again, Scooby taking offense to that and then them having to break character to reinforce their friendship is a beautiful and funny moment. It is It is nice that, like, Scooby just, he thinks that they're such friends that any sort of, anything that might break that affects him really strongly. And this is the least shaggy shaggy I've ever seen. But even then, Scooby wants to know it's not real. Uh, back at the ranch, as you say, Zomba does get her hands on the chest of demons. But when she opens it up, Oh, by the way, she's, like, tied together the mechanical arms. I kind of like the way that we cut to her having bested them. Even better than that is not only has she tied together these arms, she's taken the duck and placed it in a little cage. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's the only... She never would have gotten the cage if the duck was still out. Again, because that duck... That duck is the Tom Bombadil of this series. <laughs> People tell me they like uh, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, and I just talk their ears off about, yeah, what about Tom Bombadil? You know about Tom Bombadil? <laughs> How about the rubber duck? Do you notice him? I, like, I think it's so funny because you've been complaining about people talking about Tom Bombadil for as long as I've known you. <laughs> it's true. At this point, it's verging on me spending as much time complaining about those people as the... No, you know what? It's much longer. I've spent way more time. These people don't even think about Tom Bombadil anymore. No, they put Tom Bombadil behind them, but it it haunts me. It follows me around. Tom Bombadil is, oh, whatever. Um, But when Zamba actually gets her hands on the chest of demons and opens it up, we see that telltale note at the bottom, made in Taiwan. A Flim Flam then reveals, because they've sort of been communicating with one another this entire time, uh, Zomba's been sort of like ribbing them from afar that it was in his hoodie. Yeah, he hammer spaces it out of his hoodie pocket and is like, you want it? Come get it. She transports immediately into the world and he's like, whoa, what took you so long? Because he has to have a snarky comment for literally everything. What we sort of breezed past was the fact that Frank- Dr. Frankenscoob does bring his monster to life. I guess because they need to progress this film because they have to. We've kind of got a lot of different plot lines running concurrently. I mean, if I can break down what the different characters are doing in this episode, and I think this will help move our plot forward, Scooby and Scrappy are just doing the movie, bringing the monster to life. Uh, Shaggy is just doing various characters, as is Daphne. They're both just jumping and having fun wherever they can. Vincent Van Gogh is trying to fix the problem. Vincent Van Gogh has uh, told everyone that if they can heat up his crystal ball, the mystic fluid inside yes. <laughs> will help get them back home. V- Vince, Vincey, I don't want to hear about your mystic fluid, man. <laughs> Do not tell anyone about your mystic fluid. Just say, heat the crystal up. I, no, there might be mystic fluid in there. That might be what you need. But don't tell us you need to heat your mystic fluid up. Just go say you need to take yeah. a hot shower or whatever, man. <laughs> like... Um, but yeah, like he's doing that at the same time. Everyone's kind of got their own motivations in this. Um, but before Vincent Van Price has his go at the like electric machine, Scooby uh, tries to bring the monster to life. And, and by the way, when he's trying to get the electricity going, there's a cut where everyone is using electrical appliances like really heavily. And I couldn't discern the purpose of that. I missed that. 
for some reason. It's like it, it's like this really quick pan while Scooby's like getting everything charged up to like Daphne like make like using a mixing machine and Scoo and Shaggy like vacuuming and using a record player at the same time. Like I, th I feel like they're trying to show that they're using a lot of electrical appliances, but they're still using like the lightning to power the uh, the device. And also there is like a old school wind turbine like a windmill on the castle there is. that serves another purpose that i don't know what is um as a set piece later it later it will make i agree a great set piece so the monster is brought to life by lightning scooby gets lightly zapped um and it's a big old doggy frankenstein's monster talk to me about your expectations versus the reality of that monster did you think there was any chance it was going to be I thought it was going to be a human. It was going to be just Frankenstein's monster. I also, uh, just a regular, normal Frankenstein's monster. But it looked like a junkyard dog on the head of Frankenstein's monster. Did it also kind of have paws? I'm not even sure. It kind of had paws. Just huge, really big, like, canine mitts. Wow. And, you know, to take it, to, to read a little lore into this, this is not fully dog or fully human. This is collected from various grave sites. And I presume that the assistant, Egad, was going to get a normal brain to put in this, but he dropped that brain and he had to get a criminal dog brain. Like a dog that was a dog fighter. <laughs> like Michael Vick's dog. And then put that in. <laughs> By the way, yesterday I was walking, uh, going on a walk with a friend, and we saw one of those like community like book uh, mailbox yeah, yeah. things. Uh -huh. Where you can those take a book, leave a book. Book libraries. Like Michael Vick's book he wrote after getting out of jail, like prison was in there. He wrote a book after getting out of jail? And it was like, the title of it was like, Oh, to be free again, or something, some crap like that. That's like, yay me now. And it was, I couldn't figure out why it was in there. But I left it. It wasn't quite at the level where I was like, I'm, I need to destroy this book. Which, as I've said on air before, like if it was a book by Glenn Beck or something like that, I would have taken that and burned it. You know that I have like a Sarah Palin autobiography somewhere in my room. Keep it away from me. That's all I'm saying. What's your address again? Street. Minnesota. <laughs> Apartment 37. <laughs> You're bleeping all of that, aren't you? I might bleep that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I've taken us quite a bit off the beaten path. Um, but this is all to say everyone's doing different things. They do bring the Frankenstein, Frankenscoob's monster to life. It's a dog monster that, of course, immediately turns on everyone. It doesn't have that moment of brief innocence that we enjoy in the original work. And because they're being menaced by this monster, um, they need to enact the Scooby-Doop to get away from it. And by they, you mean Flim Flam, because again, he has to be in pri the driver's seat of every episode when it comes to gags and dupes on the monster. And by Scooby-Doop, we mean a gag that is typically enacted by Scooby and Shaggy, in which the social pressures are so great that the monster is forced to comply. In this case, since Flim Flam has already awarded himself the role of director, he is roasting uh, Frank and Scoob's monster for being bad at acting. He, he just like runs out and says, that's the worst work I've ever done. Like, who taught you how to act? Um, it was abysmal. He, he's just purely tearing this guy down. So while Flim Flam is the director, um, Shaggy and is it oh Shaggy and Scooby are hair and makeup Daphne it's the Shaggy it's Shaggy and Daphne Shaggy and Daphne are makeup people oh you're right it is Shaggy and Daphne so they're so they're like a chair appears out of nowhere I guess and the and Frank Scoop's monster sits in it and they make him up and then um well ba like I can't remember exactly what precipitates this mm. but a door slams and then Vincent Van Gogh just looks at the camera. For, like, I want to say somewhere in the five-second range. And honestly, if he didn't say anything, that would have been per perfect, perfect for me. But he does end up saying, like, monsters, they're so touchy. Oh, if I may, break that. I just pulled it up and watched it. This is even more bonkers than you're making it out to be. It's the, the gag that this had to include, it does end with, is Flim Flam... Showing the monster a, a reflection of himself with a hand mirror, and then spinning the chair so that it spins the monster all the way around and spins him out of a door that next to which Vincent Van Gogh is standing, like this, <laughs> with his hand on his face, like he's kind of like Steve Jobsing, but his hand is on the side of his face. Um, and you'd think he's there to slam the door shut, but after the monster goes through, he doesn't. 
The door slams shut on its own as he holds that like model pose, really giving a blue steel stare, like smoldering look right at the camera. And then we, after the door slams, we zoom right in on his face and we hold there for a second just to really dr get every drop of that magic fluid sexual energy. <laughs> that, that big, you're, are you saying that Vincent Van Gogh has big energy? Maybe, maybe. I think he's got big, <laughs> took me a second to, to bring that back. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to shout out the Scooby-Doo's and Scooby-Don'ts Twitter. It's actually pretty fun. Yeah, so that gives them the opportunity to, uh, to run away from the monster for a bit. Vincent Van Gogh now has his run at the electricity machine or whatever to heat up his mystic fluid. Goodness. My, my whole thing about that scene, very, very quickly, is it seemed like oh, yeah. it was cribbed from The Office, where like something ridiculous happens, and then Jim <laughs> looks directly <laughs> into the camera just like... No, 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 wait, dude. Who's, who, is, who are each of these characters in the context of The Office? Real quick, less than 60 seconds. Vincent Van Gogh is Jim. Uh, Shaggy is going to be... I, th I think the thing is, you need to select Michael, and then everyone else falls into place after that. You're right, you fall in line from there. Who is Michael? Scooby is Michael? Yeah, well, he's the, fo he's the center of the show, right? Okay, Scooby is Michael. Flim Flam has got to be Jim because he's always in control. That, does that mean... No, no, Flim Flam is Ryan, maybe. I think, I think that Scrappy is Ryan. Ooh, you're so right. You're so right, because Michael is like the connection between Michael. Okay, again, really quick. I wanted to make this super quick. Uh, Daphne's going to be Pam. Uh, Scrappy's <laughs> going to be Ryan. Uh, we got Flim Flam. We've got... Did we just... Who's, who's Shaggy? That means Shaggy has to be Jim, I think. Shaggy's Jim? Wait, who's... Shaggy's Jim. Who's Vincent Van Gogh? He's Creed. Creed, yes! All right, that's good. And finish. Thank you. Um, Zamba shows up, and she's all like, I need that chest. And Flim Flam's like, oh, no, you've caught us. I, we need to give you the chest now. It's behind that door. And so she goes into the door, and the monster's there, and he grabs her by the shoulders, and that's it. It. We do cut back to her. Well, you know what? There's another one or two scenes intervening, but when we cut back to her, he is, I'm going to back up a little bit so you can see here. He's holding her still in the same position. And then we see, before she disappears, uses her magic to disappear, he does like this. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm moving my hands up and down in opposite directions. Like he's like sh shaking her a little bit or almost like about to start turning her over or like kneading her with his hands. Like he doesn't know what he's holding. Pretty understandable. Um, Scooby and Shaggy are in a basement for some reason. And Scooby is backing up and he sits on what I called, like, the Lincoln Memorial. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! It's, it's basically just, like, a large stone chair in which Franz, Frank and Scoob's monster sits as if he had just emancipated the slaves. Both the scale and his positioning couldn't couldn't not summon comparisons to link the Lincoln Monument in DC. I don't know what the animators were thinking. I don't know what their rationale was. And they they hang on the moment for so long. I mean, I imagine him coming in. He removes the makeup. He like sits down, and then he sits and waits, and he just ponders everything that has come before. And somehow that pondering leads him, when Scooby sits on that chair on his lap, to both mimic Scooby's actions and fondle Scooby. Those are the two big things we see him doing in that he, chair. He, Mimic he and does fondle. Fondle his ear. Yeah, like well, like Scooby, I think, starts like scratching himself, and then Frank and Scoob's monster, like, starts like touching his yeah, like touching his ear. And I think that makes Scooby itch or tickle or something. But Scooby doesn't touch the same place. He just like scratches another place on his face. And then Frank and Scoob again starts like doing the same thing. Mimic and fondle. Mimic and fondle. During this entire thing, there is also this bit where Shaggy's doing the and then Scooby, I guess, are has this gag ever happened but reversed? I think it must, right? Where Scooby is the one who's like, monster, and Shaggy's like, what is it, Scoob? We've definitely had it both ways. Um, I, I don't remember which way. Like, I can't even think now which one was the original. This one I goes think, on you know, for a I while. I think the original was Scooby. No one could understand Scooby. And it's, like, very well done. I thought it was really funny. It, this was a very funny moment. Undercut only by the profound weirdness of the monster's actions. Um, I think I know what happens next. Vincent Van Gogh is upstairs. He tells uh, Flim Flam to flip the switch. Flim Flam yells, contact, in a way that was really funny for me for some reason, like what a uh, pilot would yell before turning on the airplane. 
that overloads the crystal ball with energy and creates an explosion in the castle that create that causes a cave-in trapping the monster it's in a bizarre turn of events the monster looks at scooby and says help me at which point scooby realizes that he has brought this creature to life and is now responsible for its existence yeah, uh, but Shaggy says, you'll never be able to sh save him because he can't move these be beams. And I think this is my favorite part of the whole episode. It is definitely my favorite part of the whole episode, my friend. Um, and we both we both know what this is a reference to. The music immediately yeah. clarifies any ambiguity. Popeye spinach. Scooby takes out from Hammer Space, as you've been saying a box of scooby snacks pops one in his mouth and then no 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 he does not he shakes like shakes it sideways with such force that all of them fly into his mouth <laughs> he is he's gonna od on scooby snacks this is the scooby of train spotting and then the camera it zooms out a little bit and then he just becomes stacked he does he becomes hang on i'm watching it right now yeah he rips out of his uh <laughs> out of his lab coat and becomes ripped. We see, like, too much contour to his Scooby... Like, he becomes muscular like a human. Not jacked like a dog, perhaps, obviously, but... And and it's bizarre, because... So this is obviously a reference to Popeye. So Scooby is becoming strong like Popeye would, where his muscles get larger, but then Scooby also materializes a superhero outfit, and then for a very short... For like a split second, the flag of the United States of America what? superimposes itself behind him. No, give me a moment, bro. No kidding! <laughs> <laughs> this is unbelievable, man! Oh, there I have so many things about the United States of America, his superhero outfit that thankfully makes him no longer nude, uh, the way that he flexes his bicep, which causes a volcano to appear and spurt, no other word for it, spurt lava into the air very briefly. Uh, it's so uncomfortable. Also, the thing with, with Popeye's spinach is that it made, like, his existing strengths stronger. Like, his forearms became bigger. It didn't turn him into a different kind of strong. It like, didn't. I would rather see this, like, make Scooby, uh, I, don't, I don't know, dog buff? I, this is getting weird. I regret this. It, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I like I love Popeye tropes. I love mm. when Popeye flexes his bicep and then you see a battleship in his bicep firing all of its cannons or uh, guns. The, uh, Popeye's animation was so so good. We could have this this series could have been about Popeye. Well, no. I also love when a when maybe Popeye is in Spain and Bluto has sort of like captured olive oil and tossed Popeye into like a bullfighting ring so the bull comes at Popeye and Popeye punches it and it turns into like steaks and like sausages and stuff oh yeah this is I that makes me think of another one where Bluto and Popeye were competing for Olive's affections uh different era uh but they were uh having an archery contest and Bluto cheated to get a bullseye but Popeye shot a bull in the actual eye. <laughs> what? <laughs> By mistake, like, Bluto sabotaged him, but it happened to get a bull in the actual eye. And Olive was excited about that. She's like, a real bullseye! <laughs> That's messed up, Olive. That's, That's so <laughs> gross. Um, so, uh, the comparison I wanted to make is Scooby's grabbing these spars, like these this rubble, and throwing it behind him, and it lands in the shape of a doghouse. Oh, that's such a good comparison! So I love that. I love when super strength allows you to, like, punch things or, like, throw things and have them land in a certain way. But, like, it, it kind of speaks to the precision that he's operating in. And it has the perfect capper, too, because, like, if he was throwing, like, a bunch of stuff and it made, like, a, uh, like, a uh, uh, fruit cart, then a sign that, like, said the price of the fruit would be the last thing to land. And here it's a sign that says for rent that sticks into the ground at the very end of the doghouse. It's a great gag. For me, also the high point of the episode. The monster of... the Fra Frank and Scoop's monster is so grateful, he then refers to Scooby as... Mama! <laughs> Dude, I hope your neighbors are home. They definitely are. Oh, gosh. I'm glad it's a time of day where I can do this. Uh, we're so close to the end. So Zamba is chasing 
Shaggy and Scooby, who have the chest upstairs to sort of like one of the tops of the towers. I really like it, though, because even though she has demonstrated the ability to teleport from not not just from world to world, but place to place, she gets up and she's ex- yeah, she's pooped. This is, I, I regret that we haven't spent as much time on Z- Zamba, because I think she is, at the one time, like, again, kind of almost offensive to lower class people, perhaps, I don't know, but, like, she's, uh, but she's also hilarious, like, she gets to the top and she's, <gasps> and also, when she's, like, first, like, looking around the, after she transports everyone to the movie world, she's in the living room, which is filled up with pop, which is filled up with popcorn, because, of all the popcorn Shaggy made, and she's menacing them and telling the plot in between handfuls of popcorn, gasps of breath between eating the popcorn, <laughs> and then audible gulps. She's like, and then you'll have to do this. And then after this, this will happen. <sighs> and you'll then do that. <laughs> it's so subtle, but it's it's genuinely hilarious. I, I likened it to... um. The, just her being winded to when the cat creature is chasing Scooby around the elevator. <laughs> I I don't even care if we reference the cat creature in every episode we do ever. That is a seminal work of animation. It's just, he's he sweats through the costume. <laughs> he's sweating through the mask. As he chases Scooby, as Scooby has also pinned himself to the edge because he's fearing for his freaking life. <laughs> Um, and didn't Shaggy and the cat creature have a very different kind of moment in that same episode in an elevator? No, that oh. was Scooby as well. The best that was still Scooby. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it now. So many episodes and episodes after the best episode of Scooby Doo ever made. That was the second episode we've ever done, and still one of our best ever episodes. So amazing! Uh, and I think it's purely because of the episode that it was, not necessarily what we put on it. Um, but here we've got a really fantastic set piece on the roof of the castle. Um, Vincent Van Gogh realizes that heating up this crystal ball actually isn't going to work. Let's just catch Zamba. She's here. We catch her. We'll get out. Um, they're up on... Yeah, there's a set piece. There's this windmill. While this is all happening, the villagers, by the way... Oh, yeah. Who this entire time have been trying to knock down the door with a battering ram, finally break through, and they just like Zamba, are likewise exhausted. The the villagers, for one thing, they're heaving hoeing at the door, and they say it like this. Like, imagine six guys saying it exactly like that. The most tired, lackluster heave hoes you could ever imagine. So of course they're not busting through the door, which they're barely even tapping. Well, they've been doing this, like, almost all episode. I don't know what to make of it, but the villagers really take a backseat for the entirety of the episode. It Yeah, it's a pretty big contrast from the first episode, where the villagers were very active participants in the adventure. Yeah. They're, I'd say, completely inconsequential. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a windmill gag that I thought was very Pirates of the Caribbean-esque. Ooh, good. That's a good comparison. I like this even better. It's very kinetic. Um, it's uh, got a lot of... It's very visual. It, it makes a great use of the setting. Essentially, Zamba chases Scooby and Shaggy all the way to the edge of the castle where there's this uh, kind of beat-up windmill. Um, Shaggy, Scooby and Shaggy each in turn tip over and grab onto one of these things, one of the blades, and start spinning around it. Um, and then Frank and Scooby's monster shows up on the roof going after his mommy. Uh, and... Uh, it ultimately culminates in Zamba being catapulted off of the windmill and directly into the chest. Hmm. When I used to live, I mean, I live in Canada now, but I used to, when I was in middle school, I would listen to this radio show in the morning and they would just, um, it was a rock station, so it wasn't like news news, but they had this little segment where they just would talk about an event that had happened. And there were these young people, I want to say like teens or early 20s, who I guess they were drunk or something, what they did was they, they it was a carousel, like a merry-go-round. Um, and what they did was, do you know what Beyblades are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got rope. It's like a big top that you spin, or a little top that you spin and fight with other people's tops. So yeah, they found another they got... merry-go-round and they battled against it. <laughs> they spun both ones in a, a domed, a concave ring. They got rope and they tied it to the merry-go-round and then looped it around the merry-go-round a bunch of mm. times and then tied that to a pickup 
and then drew, oh. and then drove the pickup as fast as possible so that it's this rope caused the merry-go-round to spin at inordinately high speeds speeds that were so fast that one of the young women holding onto this merry-go-round was flung and instantly killed whoa what holy crap and that's what this windmill made me think of that sounds like i knew it was going to end with terrible injury or death but even so i'm at the end of it like i want to try that <laughs> i don't have a truck i got a sedan surely that'll be fine uh they because zamba has been captured the spell is broken they're back in their living room but they have a, uh, an unexpected guest oh yeah they look in the living room and they see frank and no the dining room and they see frank and scoops they see the monster sitting at the kitchen table eating the popcorn which is still like waist level you know what i like that continuity where where shaggy very early on makes six pounds of popcorn at eight million degrees and fills up the kitchen and the living room and that it's a constant presence throughout throughout the episode that anytime we're on the bottom floor we're waist deep in popcorn. I also really like that. I only hope that the continuity of Frank and Scoob coming up and showing up in the real world, calling Scooby mommy, Scooby accepting Frank and Scoob as a child, continues to the next episode. I want Scooby to get off the phone at the beginning of the next episode saying, I love you too, honey, to Frank and Scoob, and then going off on an adventure. But that is, that's really that, the ending gag. As Frank and Scoob shows up, Mommy! I love you. Uh, and, and Frankenscoob's monster also sort of helps out with, like, m- a lot of um, Scooby-Doo episodes, and with Scooby-Doo saying, Scooby-Doo, and he joins in. This time they both say, Franken-Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Or I guess Franken-Scooby-Doo. They do. They say Franken-Scooby-Doo. Right after Scooby says, that's my boy. Whoa, wow, terrible. Scooby says, that's my boy, right beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the episode. That's monstertainment. One, now that's what I call monstertainment. One thing that I do want to um one thing that I do want to talk about is that I think this is the first episode of this particular series where there hasn't been a really weird meta cutaway gag where they're on TV all of a sudden. I think that's because the entire thing is a really weird meta cut <laughs> meta cutaway gag. But you're right. This is the what in fact it's odd they didn't have a commercial cut. That's yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Bar none, um 13 Ghosts is the is the most and it's weird to say this given like be cool and like more modern iterations. I think this is the most meta Scooby Doo that exists. I think you're right. Huh? Well, I I don't know. I think it's the stuff it does that's meta is very obviously meta. Whereas I think Be Cool is more subtle, and it's more like just a little joke here, a little joke there. That's, well, no, and they, they couch it in, with characters reacting to weird things. So I think you're right. The show itself is meta with 13 Ghosts. And it is a little odd that we don't have a, a cutaway gag in the middle of the episode to a commercial, especially since the whole thing takes place on TV. But I suppose it's already all taking place on TV, so that's a bit of a, a meta framing gag from the start. You right. I right. Um, I also hungry. Yeah, me hungry as well. We both hungry. Finish this episode, listeners. You hungry? You want to go get food? Oh, I feel like I went too far. <laughs> You're not interested anymore. <laughs> I've lost Evan. <laughs> oh, wanna wanna get to the outro and eat some food, bud? Yeah. I really enjoy like monster movie tropes. Hmm. And I was, like, thinking, watching this episode, given that there's, like, this Igor Egad character, why did they ever stop presenting, or, like, why did they ever discontinue the trope of a small, misshapen, physically deformed man who calls another man master? master? (laughs) Why, Why did they do away with that? I don't know. I think because it's offensive. Is that what you're you're looking for? Because it's offensive. Here's here's the thing. Why don't we have one <laughs> where the weird deformed person is the master, and a perfectly good intelligent scientist calls him master? <laughs> you know what? I think you just made it worse by saying that the person calling him master is 
normal and intelligent. <laughs> just a, a perfectly intelligent cisgender. But no, I think it's a it's a deformed, man. sniveling, groveling master. I like that idea. Man, you really you really shown your hand. I've really shown my true colors here. Well, Evan, you've outed me as a hateful person. Yeah. Hmm. This is good. This is good. We can build on this. I'm feeling the feeling the. You know what? This has gotten my mystic juices flowing. Ready for the outro. I'm thinking here. I'm just like, okay, we've outed Luke as a bigot. How do we? How do we then transition into where our listeners can find us online? Visit us at infowars. <laughs> Twitter. Infowars.com. Dude, Alex Jones should, if if I had um, a production company, if I was someone who like made shows and stuff, and I would definitely cast. Uh, Caleb City, you I, you've seen those videos. He did that Venus flytrap, like with, with the first video. I think oh, he'd yeah. be a very good mm-hmm. voice actor. Yeah, I think he, he would too. I also would cast Alex Jones, and I know that would be really divisive because of like everything he represents. But I think he's so good at voice acting. I would cast both of them in a movie. Yo, you no wait, you would cast them together. They're, they're two of my like when I think of like people I want to voice act in something that I'm responsible for. Caleb City Alex and Alex Jones. Jones. Alex Jones is a really good voice actor. He's got a really good voice. I don't think I think being a good voice actor is doing it on command. I think Alex Jones can only do Alex Jones on command. Otherwise, he's more like me in that he can do weird stuff at random. I think that's. I think you just um, need I to do weird stuff l- consistently. Listeners, if you're voice casting agents, don't cast Alex Jones and stuff. I disagree with Evan here. Don't. Yeah, don't cast. I, like you were saying, if you're if you're a voice casting director, don't mm-hmm. cast Alex Jones. Yes. Before me. What? No. I want to be mm-hmm. the first. Okay, but Evan. Since you're never going to cast Alex Jones, that's okay. That's the same thing, same outcome. Evan, you don't, you aren't about to cast Alex Jones in anything, are you? Evan, I know you're, you're slated to replace James Gunn on the next Guardians of the Galaxy. You're not going to, you're not going to make Alex Jones Groot, are you? Dude, Alex Jones could definitely be like a random alien, like random alien number four. But like, I'm only okay with that if random alien number four is shown to be a racist prick who then gets like... Just obliterated in the film. Tell me that's what's gonna happen to his character. Tell me that his this character has his children taken away from him because he doesn't manage to convince a jury that he's playing a character on air on his alien. Don't stop shrugging. No, Evan, don't don't do these like what express. No, not the hand on the chin. No, 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 no. Not this. Stop making this nothing I can do expression. You are the new James Gunn. You you make the decisions. No, just more faces. Just more faces. This is the kind of interplay I get on, on air on the <laughs> podcast. Okay, we've talked about Alex Jones for so long. Um, Listeners, thank you for sticking with us. You are no doubt wondering, where can I get additional content that I don't necessarily have to listen to, that I can interact with just by reading, browsing, or giving money to? You can go to twitter.com slash thescoobydudes. You can go to facebook.com slash scoobydudes. You can shoot us an email at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, scoobydudes.com. One note on the website. If you go to the website, you'll see funny screenshots, captions, show notes, and corrections. And best of all, you'll see original title card art that we commission for every single episode we cover of Scooby-Doo. How can we afford this title card art that we, again, commission? We want to pay our artists. Well, for that, we go to Patreon.com, and we thank our patrons for giving us monthly donations in return for additional content exclusive to Patreon. Evan, could you remind me who's doing our title card this week? So we do have a brand new artist. Yes. Um, Uli. Uh, pronouns they or he. They're um, 20... I'm re- just reading uh, their Tumblr. 22-year-old Cuban-American artist. Uh really excited to see what they come up with for this episode uh really thrilled to partner with them if you want to check out their stuff go to ulibeanz.tumblr.com and uh and peep their stuff we're because... honored yeah, sorry go ahead no that's it just we're because on... <laughs> we're honored Luke. that <laughs> <laughs> I would never do this to you. I would never do this to you. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you've got the hand on the chin and the mouth. This is... I, I'm going to have to come up with names for these different expressions of yours. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it is an honor. Do you honor. not like this bit? 
it is an honor that we have this artist replacing Evan as my co-host <laughs> on the podcast. I can't tell you how thrilled I am. When you did this to me, I've never felt so helpless. <laughs> you really are completely at the mercy of a person who is not being merciful. I've never been in this state. I'm just like, I can, I can try. I can make an attempt. I can put myself out there, but to be shut down again. Oh, man. We get our money on Patreon.com from our beloved donors who give us money every single month. And in return, we give them a big shout out the first time they donate. Um, Evan, do we have any new donors this time we should give a big thanks to? No. People who are listening who haven't donated, this is a moment where we are not thanking you. No thanks to you, this podcast is on air. Yeah, can I say that on average, each of these episodes tops out at roughly, like, just shy of 150? That's, to me, 150 different people, over 100 of which have just been like, nah, like, I like it. It's good. Yeah, I'm fine. Good enough. I'll listen, but I won't pay. That's you, 130 listeners who aren't giving us money. Aren't you sick of sounding like that? Can't you hear what your own voice sounds like? <laughs> Our donors stopped sounding like that when they gave us money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to keep this short, and the outro is the longest part of this whole episode. <laughs> but we'll thank them every week if they do donate. If you do donate, we'll thank you every week. We'll give you a shout-out, just like we're going to shout these people out. Thank you to these beloved donors. And lastly... If you're on iTunes, if that's sort of how you've been listening to us and you want to leave us a five-star review, I will read that on the air. There are no new ones this week. But listen, if between now and next week you want to leave us a five-star review, do it. And hey, I'll sweeten the pot. Not only will Evan read it on air, I'll listen to it live on air. Hey, that's even better. You know what I forgot to say during this episode? What? Flim Flam says, gotcha so many times in this episode man no kidding like it's a thing that is just like part of his vocabulary his vernacular yeah and it made me think of because i i watch a lot of um like sort of like meme meme edits of like video game typically overwatch hmm. where it's like <clears throat> they're like plays or whatever but then like they'll add additional visuals or like audio cues and one thing hmm. that happens a lot like like if roadhog hooks you then they'll put in the little audio cue like gotcha <laughs> which is, which I re I only realized just today after doing a bit of research is a Dave Chappelle bit. <laughs> really? What, what bit is he doing there? Let's he's, make this the last thing about, of the episode. What is that bit? And and I mean I I typically don't curse on this podcast, but he's talking about like how the difference between men and women, and how like, um, men only like nice things because women like nice things. Men don't actually like nice cars. A man will buy a nice car. And then a, a woman will come over and say, oh, I really like your car. Gotcha. <laughs> that's like, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. Dave Chappelle is such a legend. Oh my gosh. I, I don't think I've ever heard like an entire like, like Chappelle um, show. I remember watching one and thinking this is beautifully constructed. Like you, you can see the, just the framework of it. And there's beauty in that alone. Really amazing. Uh, so listeners, Again, visit us, twitter.com slash thedavechappelle, facebook.com slash davechappellebookings, and uh, patreon.com slash dchappie. Twitter.com slash davechappellebookings. Yeah, that's... Like, you can just, you can just like, at him, and he'll show up. Yeah, true. All it takes is an at. People don't know this. He will go anywhere for an at. Honestly, He's... Dave Chappelle is not unlike Bloody Mary. You can just go to your mirror and say Dave Chappelle three times. He will show you, up. You tweet at Mirror three times, and he'll show up. There's got to be... Sorry, one last thing. Mm -hmm.